You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Ralph Macchio, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome to the Epic Marvel Movie Podcast. I am Steve Ferguson. And I am Doug Ferguson. Woo-wee, yeah. So so if anyone hears a rumbling in the background, it is this purring cat in my lap. And I, I dare not move her. We we keep this uh, this sound as a sort of an ASMR experience for you to, <laughs> mm-hmm. to calm your nerves as you listen to this podcast. Yes. Yes. So this episode, we have decided to... Kind of, uh, kind of go more into the superhero genre after after last time we were dealing with labyrinth. How did you feel the labyrinth episode went? Uh, you know, pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, I never really know what I, I didn't really know what I was getting into because of uh, <laughs> you know it was our first time. So <laughs> yeah. um, first time is always the strangest time, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah, but uh, we're, we're doing we're doing okay. Yeah, but this time we are doing the first uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. Do you remember what year that came out? Um, was it two thousand two? Yeah, that's right. Um, what is what a strange time. Just just as a bit of background, folks. Again, this is pre MCU. This is this is pre pre superhero films were a guaranteed sort of hit thing. I mean, you had in the nineties, you had. Blade, you had the Blades, uh, yeah, the, the Blade yeah. trilogy. Yeah, it was a little later nineties. Yeah, so. and then and then the first X Men film was uh, two thousand actually. No, well, oh, okay, was just 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 there, just, just in. Yeah. yeah, and so I mean, but I mean, I don't think you could say, yeah, we can definitely bank on superhero movies being a money maker. Well, I think I think actually at that point in time, uh, it was kind of a risk because. Um, I think everyone was was really sore from Batman and Robin. For sure. Which is like 97 or something like that. For sure. Um, and just going like, you know what? Maybe maybe we should lay off the superhero movies because I, <laughs> I just don't see this going well. But Blade did kind of take it in a whole different direction, mm-hmm. as did X-Men. Uh, and, and making it more grounded and dark and look kind of gritty. The dark and the gritty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And now... I, you know, do you remember when we were growing up? There was always rumors kicking around that there was going to be a Spider-Man film, like yeah. for age. There was rumors, and and we were getting stoked forever. Like we had no idea as kids. I mean, we had no idea. Kids and teachers, we had no idea when this alleged Spider-Man movie was coming out. But you know, there was always there was always talks about a Spider-Man movie. And I mean, you could you could check on IMDb trivia page about the early iterations about the, the when Jim Cameron held the rights and and when Nicholas Cage and Michael Jackson expressed interest and all that sort of really Wait, really bizarre Michael stuff. Michael Jackson expressed interest in a Spider-Man movie. Oh, of course he did. Like as as who? As Peter Parker? I think at one point mm-hmm. that was something. I don't. Now, truthfully, mm-hmm. I don't think he was ever ever going to be on the short list for being cast. Ever, <laughs> but this was this was a guy who definitely expressed interest in uh, in doing it. I could be Spider Man too. <laughs> We're all Spider Man. Um, that's fascinating. I mean, Nicholas Cage seems like he was always on the short list for every superhero. Oh, absolutely, and, absolutely, and uh, and actually wound up being very few. Um, actually, well, 
now actually he's making he's making time uh, making time up for by just having like appearances as like every other superhero mm-hmm. you know Spider-Man Noir and and, uh, <laughs> and uh, oh what, what was the other one I was thinking of he's Superman in the in that uh, was it the Lego no it was the Teen Titans Go he plays Superman in that right um, and and also then in Kick-Ass as well so you know mm-hmm. he's actually wound up playing a lot of superheroes he's, yeah, but he's just never that. as I think as he envisioned it <laughs> yeah which I mean you know what Okay, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, you, you know, uh, and it's not a it's not a loss. Yeah, this is also not uh, Spider Man's actual foray into film at all. I think the uh, first one that always comes to my mind was it was during that time when Marvel superheroes were actually doing well. I mean, like take for instance, the Incredible Hulk had a series of films in the seventies and I think up into the eighties. Well, they were made uh, for TV, weren't they? Were they all made for TV? I didn't. I truthfully did not brush up on my Incredible Hulk. I saw mm-hmm. Death to the Incredible Hulk. I've seen that one. But uh, well, but they were the ones with the uh, Lou Frigno, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, that was that was very successful. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they got a theatrical release, but I wasn't there. So yeah, I wasn't there either. So, uh, but also, I mean, like uh, the the to- you have to forgive my pronunciation. The toy to- toy Spider Man films, or as I like to think of it, Spider Man Power Rangers. Oh, the uh, Japanese ones. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. A huge cultural impact with that one. He had that uh, the giant spider robot Leopardon. I mean, it really it's the loosest possible adaptation <laughs> of Spider-Man. But I guess as in the Spider-Verse shows, mm. anything's, anything could be reality. Yeah, any, any, anything's, <laughs> anything, anything's canon now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Spider-Man is such a marketable property. I mean, it, it legitimately is. I'm going to be 100% honest, folks. When I first saw the first teaser poster, I didn't even see a teaser trailer, poster, uh, I worked at a movie theater at the time for Spider-Man is the Spider-Verse. I was like, ah, man, they're just milking it, you know. Uh, that being said, it's one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man properties. Uh, that that film is, is fantastic. It's just great. And it also kind of opens opens it up to be very inclusive of the different Spider-Man franchises. I thought it was, uh, instead of just being this strange little spinoff, I thought it was a very, very welcoming, almost, especially at the end. And spoiler alert, uh, the appearance by Spider-Man 2099 made me made me absolutely giddy. I've always had deep affection for Spider-Man 2099. Yeah, we'll, leave, we'll leave it up to Curtis if you want to keep that in there or not uh, depending <laughs> on how uh, spoilery he, uh, he wants well it doesn't affect the plot it's just true, kind of thrown true. in at the end it's true uh, <laughs> so I mean so back on track when uh, when Doug and I were growing mm. up the Spider-Man film adaptations were a thing of the far past there had been several Spider-Man TV series I remember watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends a couple times and thinking it was eh even as a kid I was like eh but the 90s Spider-Man series from Fox I absolutely adored. I thought that was great. It was in my top three favorite shows as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was up there with Beast Wars and Reboot. Uh, it was those were the, like the, the holy trinity right there. Now I, I watched this even like it was on Netflix. I don't know if it is right now, but I had watched it recently on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I did too, and it's not on there at the moment, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, there are some glaring problems with the show, but the high points of the show are even down to the the music and the voice cast. The voice casting is so on point. And the music and uh, and the strange amount of viewer engagement. Um, Ed Asner is a terrific J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love him. Actually, no, this, this I think ties into it because when you have fantastic casting, the bar is set really high. For years, when you, know, when you were buying the comics left, right, and center, that was the voice in my head. I know that, let's say, our mom's generation, um, it was the 1960s Spider-Man. That that was kind of like the boop. That was the Spider-Man that, uh, that she would kind of envision first. But, I mean, like, if I'm reading the comics, I've got, uh, oh, what's his name? The, the VA's name. Oh, for, for Spider-Man? Yeah. 
uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes. That's right. That was his voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His voice. Was, his voice. His voice was great as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm. I, I still imagine it quite often when I'm reading the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it, and again, it wasn't just him. It was it was basically. I'm even having a hard t- hard pressed time thinking right now of a character character's voice who wasn't cast well. Um, Wilson Fisk, another great example. Mm-hmm. Tough casting mm-hmm. to beat. Tough casting, even with his little barbs. With like Smythe, with an Alistair Smythe. Smythe. Uh, <laughs> Smythe. I don't trust him. You don't trust anyone. I'm usually right. <laughs> I love. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. It was. It was little because at that in scenes like that they weren't just the bad guy. They were. You know. They were characters. You know. They were. They were characters who mm-hmm, had their totally. own idiosyncrasies and uh, and uh, and their own voices and and actually truthfully and this is something that I think only the Netflix Daredevil series has been really good at capturing. Um, even though she didn't have that many appearances in the 90s Spider-Man series, uh, Fisk genuinely, genuinely loved Vanessa. And you could tell he was, he was so gentle with her in that series. And this is, this was a brutal, brutal guy. Uh, and so gentle. And this isn't a kid's cartoon on Fox, you know, and, and you could, you could see glimpses of, of different dimensions and stuff. So, I mean, the bars was pretty high and here we were growing up like, when are we going to get this Spider-Man movie? And then, and then, you know, Marvel started selling off their characters left, right, and center. Just like we gotta, we gotta figure out a way to stave off bankruptcy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what a weird, what a weird thing to think about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Sony, Sony picked up the rights to uh, to Spider Man, um, and Fox scooped up X Men, and I keep for, I keep getting this mixed up. Who grabbed Fantastic Four? That was also Fox. That was also Fox. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, so such a strange time. Such a strange time, and then and then X Men comes along, and people liked X Men a lot, and I think and no small part did a Hugh Jackman, but I mean I think X Men started sort of the templates, where we're like okay, we've got we've got a, a new a new sort of comic movie that doesn't have to be outrageously dark and violent, um, that can still kind of kind of feel like a comic, and I think you know Sony was like okay I think we're gonna I think we're gonna do this. And uh, so, although we weren't really uh, cognizant of this at the time, uh, looking back, hiring Sam Raimi, hiring Sam Raimi, what a what an interesting choice. It's true, you know. Um, yeah, we were too young to really be uh, completely aware of the Evil Dead, of course, and and its sort of legacy. Um, but. Yeah, I think I think they probably it was probably based more off of uh, Darkman, mm-hmm. which was another film that he did. Um, Even still, Darkman was ten years prior. Yes, but but it was sort of a but it was a much more comic book kind of film. Sure, um, but even still, yeah, it, it's not like it's, it doesn't seem to me in any way that Sam Raimi was like a sure bet. It was. It seemed like a very risky move. Still, the film he done right before Spider Man uh, in two thousand. Uh, was called The Gift. And this was a sort of like supernatural horror film. Uh, again, not exactly what I would immediately think. Um, yeah, we gotta get this guy for, for Spider-Man. And then previous to that, for the love of the game in 99, sports drama. I mean, do not get me wrong. Sam Raimi is an extremely talented guy and he's he's extremely innovative. Uh, anyone who knows anything about the Evil Dead series and his shemping and some of the, the interesting techniques, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Working on a tight budget was his modus operandi from the get-go. 
Uh, I read, uh, I've got Bruce Campbell's uh, book, If Chins Could Kill. And when he first met Sam Raimi in, it was either junior high or high school, Sam Raimi was the weird kid who would be sitting on the floor in the in the school with a whole bunch of action figures lined up and uh, and just be like staging stuff from the get-go at that age. Uh, and I mean, like... I get it. Like, yeah. actually, picture that in your head now. It's like, like, in high school, you said? Yeah, it was high school or junior high. Yeah, that's a little old. It's <laughs> a little old to be... I mean, like, like look, look at you know the the direction his life has gone but i mean but yeah it's, but it's, it's at kind the of time weird. it's like yeah it's like what is lot. this kid doing <laughs> i can now tr- truthfully truthfully going back and watching evil dead 2 and army darkness uh, and even evil, evil dead um it does make a degree of sense to me because he can balance out really really gritty action and levity like there's a lot of levity in those movies and uh and uh um, more so I'd say less so with uh, the first Evil Dead. I sure. feel like, I feel like that movie's tense from start to finish. Sure. Yeah, but then yeah, it, but they they get goofier as they go for sure. Absolutely, and uh, I I actually I really really dig. Truthfully, I really dig Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness, especially just in that like you get to see there's a source in, in filmmaking where you see a character and how they develop under stress. And Ash, his development is all across this, all across the map. But you're with him. You're along for the ride, regardless of the crazy, the crazy stuff that's going on and his sort of bizarre reactions to it. Um, you're along for the ride. It, it somehow works. It somehow is somehow, uh, quote, believable, unquote. So, I mean, in a way, it does kind of make sense to me that he would be a logical person to to tap for a superhero film because you're taking theoretically normal people, Pear Parker, teenager, Norman Osborn, businessman, and you're putting them through fantastical circumstances and seeing what the hell they do and having the audience buy it. I mean, that was always the selling point of Spider-Man is that uh, rather than like heroic soldiers or billionaires, he was a very normal grounded person who did just kind of fall into his abilities and his life. And and the rogues gallery, I guess, kind of builds on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there has to be a degree of of um, sympathy for your villain as well. They can't just be stock. You kind of have to understand why they're doing what they're doing, and I think that's that's a really tricky thing to balance as well. On to casting, though. Uh, Toby Maguire. Truthfully, we weren't. Uh, I know you. You were a little less forgiving of his casting than than I was. I mean, he was just coming off Cider House Rules, which was the film that Kirsten Dunst she agreed to join on to Spider Man because she saw Cider House Rules and thought it was really good. And um, I, I even remember watching I him. I haven't in, seen Cider House Rules, but it was always the one that people referenced. Yeah, I remember seeing him in uh, Wonder Boys, which is based off of a uh, a uh, Michael Chabon novel in which he's had a very minor role and was uh became robert downey jr's sort of like side lover which is kind of funny to think about in hindsight because it's just like <laughs> robert how many spider-men are you taking under your wing now <laughs> come on spidey uh and also he was in briefly but was still in fear and loathing in las vegas it's kind of like a burnt out burnt out hitchhiker well, it was a very, very small part, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but there were yeah. tons of small parts in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. What a bizarre movie. <laughs> it's great. It's terrific. I didn't see, he was in Pleasantville. I didn't see Pleasantville, though, until years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like Pleasantville. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty on the nose, but it's, uh, it's a, 
It's a fun film. He is like cu- curiously fit, Toby Toby Maguire. Cur- curiously fit. Like you'd be surprised how honestly how how even watching the movie again, like how cut he is. You know the part where he's, well, he's transformed. That was that was definitely part of his preparation for the film, though. For sure, but I mean, he started off, if I recall, in uh, uh, what was he doing? He was in gymnastics and such. Like it, it was not a difficult thing to get him to that to that level of of buff. I mean, I couldn't do it. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the the scene in the film where he's he's experiencing the symptoms of the spider bite, and he's you know uh, there's the reflection, and they've they've. They've tinkered with the reflection so that he looks like just kind of a scrawny kid and then wakes up buff and stuff like that is so effectively done. Uh, And um, you can you can kind of believe that that's how his his he normally looks with the with the the the, the sort of scrawny average person sort Mm -hmm, of thing. mm -hmm. Uh, Raimi said uh, on casting Tony McGuire that he was looking for somebody who was not particularly good looking and just kind of an average person who could fall into the background. Uh, And he said it next to Tobey Maguire. And then the audience slowly started laughing after he said not particularly good looking. (laughs) (laughs) And then Tobey started laughing. And then Raimi realizing what he said was just like, oh, you know, you know. But like, but he he isn't like the conventionally handsome Hollywood. He's not. He's not. uh, He's not Christopher Reeve. You know, you know, Chris, Christopher Reeve was like yeah, he, chiseled. He had a jaw. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say um, for as same with the Batman's, uh, but but mostly just Val Kilmer uh, comes to mind as far as being like really classically handsome mm. Batman because Michael Keaton wasn't really either. No, he was he was kind of a he looked. Well, he looked like Michael Keaton, <laughs> so it was well, like, yeah. you know, which is sort of uh, you know half crazed in a way. Um, so, so so yeah, but still very count, but again very counter to that. I guess later '90s Batman because George Clo- George Clooney is also very like very George Clooney, yeah. yeah, George Clooney definitely has. Uh, <laughs> and again, folks, if you didn't like Batman and Robin, all you got to do is approach Mr. Clooney and tell him so he will give you your money back. Uh, <laughs> He has said this on multiple occasions. <laughs> it, yeah, oh, you know. Okay, this is this is a decide. But um, when uh, uh, so, uh, Tilda Swinton won an Oscar, yeah, and then she referenced uh, the she. Re- I don't remember. It must have been because it was from that year or something. But uh, just she referenced the uh, the bat nipples, and George Clooney just like looked uh, <laughs> put his head in his hands. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, or uh, no, no, that's right. It was because she was working on. Um, on Michael, that movie, Michael Clayton. Michael right? Clayton, the yeah. one, the one with, yeah, she was with George Clooney. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, which is, uh, I think, a phenomenal movie. Michael, oh yeah, you lent it to me, uh, and you said, "Don't watch the trailer." You absolutely, don't watch the trailer. Yeah. It, 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 it ruins some great moments. Speaking of trailers, do you remember the original teaser trailer for Spider Man? I certainly do. I mm-hmm. got tingles in the theater. Mm-hmm. I was so so stoked because, well, as we said, like we were we were so excited to get a. Uh, a Spider-Man movie, and, finally, and like, yeah. and Spider-Man's always been my personal favorite superhero. I really, I've always really connected with, the, with him. I kind of grew up playing games, pretending to be him, and um, so all my life I wanted a Spider-Man movie, and then suddenly, um, like, there, it was, it was just so cool to have that reveal of like, it looked like just a heist film or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. And then the guys are flying away in a helicopter, they're like, yeah, we got it, we got it, and, and then twip, 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 they're like, ah, and then it just pans out, and they're stuck in a spider web, and. And that's when and 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 it clicked for me, and I probably clicked with everybody. It's like, oh, it's coming! Uh-huh. Like the Spider-Man movie is phenomenal, and oh yes, and and unfortunately, um, as a as a piece of uh, history, it was it was shortly before 
the attacks on September 11th, and so they they were they were captured in between the two the twin towers, the twin towers yeah. of the World Trade Center. As soon as 9/11 happened, that trailer was pulled, and you better believe there are some projectionists who have held on to that, undoubtedly. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, this is this is history now, folks." There's a run of posters too that had the twin towers in, in the skyline, and those were those were also pulled, and uh, those posters are highly sought after collector's items mm-hmm. uh if, yeah interestingly enough yeah uh sorry backtracking a, a bit more into into casting we got willem dafoe in oh, as yeah. uh, as norman osborne i remember reading speculation uh on who was going to be cast um and there were there were a few names that were being that were being thrown around actually you know what to be honest i'm pretty sure nicholas cage was thrown around uh, i'm not i'm pretty you know sure what, actually was. though like nicholas cage wouldn't make nicholas cage could have done it he wouldn't yeah. make a bad norman osborne for sure he's got the He's got, he could commit to that level of craze. Mm-hmm. And especially seeing what Willem Dafoe did with the character, uh, it, it, he could do right in line with that. Um, Willem Dafoe, I think one of his best known roles, I mean, I guess outside, what was a Platoon, was at that point uh, Boondock Saints. Well, you want to talk about a big role for Willem Dafoe? He played Jesus Christ in The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, Last Christ. Temptation of Christ, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so there's that too. Uh, which, which he, I'd watched, uh, what was it, uh, GQ's? You know where the artist talks about some of their their you know most famous roles, or Esquire GQ. Uh, it's yeah you know just the one the one who has the actors re- re- recall their most famous roles. Yeah, so he. Uh, I don't remember who Vanity? Maybe? No, I don't think it was Vanity. I, I think I'm pretty sure it was GQ. Anyways, yeah, so he was talking about Last Temptation and and you know naturally he got some he got some death threats and some people like you know this is blasphemy and his response was always did you actually watch the movie. Uh, because he felt really drawn to the to the material and the way that Christ was being was being presented and stuff, and he, and he thought it was a very it was a very emotional connection and a very a very moving sort of sort of thing. Still a very divisive film, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I even I feel like kind of confused about it myself. You just have, I have watched it and I'm just like, how do I feel about this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, you know it's interesting because I realized when this movie came out how naive and how little I knew about actors and and like what kind of movie like the, their their past of their their movies and where they were going to go and and this was my introduction to like all these actors. Yes, like I never I didn't know Willem I didn't Dafoe know Willem Dafoe before. Yeah. And now I've seen so much of his, his stuff uh, in retrospect since this. Uh, I, actually, I had seen him in a movie before Spider-Man. The one I had seen him in was Mississippi Burning. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah which is right, yeah. which is a phenomenal film. Um, I actually I need to watch it again. It's uh, with uh, uh, Gene Hackman. It, Gene Hackman, thank you. And it involves um, investigating a, a, a murder cases in the Deep South during uh, with the Ku, Ku Klux Klan running interference and. And the amount of strain that these two FBI agents are undergoing. I watched it in my grade ten English class. Yeah, yeah, I watched it in high school as well. Yeah, and and I yeah, I, I liked it a lot more than I was expecting because you don't. I don't usually watch movies in high school and expect to like love them. But I, yeah, but I, I thought it was really good. Yeah. So and then Boondock Saints, uh, which I'd seen a couple times. I have a very sort of mixed mixed opinion on Boondock Saints. I love Willem Dafoe's performance. Uh, he's so complicated, but I hate the funny man, passionately. Mm. Hate, hate it. Very difficult film to watch. Um, but interesting. But interesting. Worth watching at least once. And then, so, I mean, he gets cast on as Norman Osborn, and James Franco, a relatively new James Franco, who had auditioned for the part of Peter Parker himself, gets gets called on to play son. And what amazing casting, I'll say that right now. The two of them together as father and son. Oh, yeah. I bought it right away. Uh-huh. Yeah, they look great together. Kind of like, uh, I'm going to say, like, Signs with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. You could totally buy them as brothers. Totally. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, phenomenal casting. Kristen Dunst, who admitted on camera that she had never read comics before uh, and and was a little taken aback as to how much Sam Raimi loved the source material, joins in curiously as, as Mary Jane. Mary Jane, when yeah. truthfully, do you think it would have made, even if not necessarily from a story standpoint, but from a casting standpoint, do you think it would have made more sense to cast her as Gwen Stacy? Well, I mean... Just just taking this first film into account. Ah, you know, it's it's, it's hard to second guess history, I guess. <laughs> you know, um, I she was in a more natural blonde. She, in this particular film, she doesn't really look like a redhead, mm. to be honest. So, but the, the, I do feel like that uh, fixed, they fixed that in the second movie by giving her an actual proper natural looking hair color. Because uh, this looks like, it looks like she's wearing a wig and... I think she is. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe with some adjustments, it could have been fine. Um, I think she does a fine job in the part. I, I, I've never had any issues. I mean, I, th- I think some people don't like her performance too much, but I've honestly, I think it fits the film. I think it's fine. Yeah. I, to be honest, I will actually s- say truthfully that I find her performance to be the the weak link in the casting, truthfully. There were some parts of her that did seem very Mary Jane, but in the comics, Mary Jane always struck me as way more confident or at least projecting confidence and funny than than she's portrayed here in this film. Uh, like 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 funny and kind of kind of a character, uh, kind of someone who could be Peter Parker's foil. Uh, whereas, I mean, I feel like this is more of her just being, and this actually I think is a valid complaint, and even one Kristen Dunst had in the Raimi, Raimi trilogy is that like. Mary Jane's just, just got to get kidnapped. Well, this <laughs> yeah. is true. This is something that I've, I've criticized, is that especially in the first movie, I find that her her character grows a lot through the trilogy. I mean, as much as people kind of beg on the third one, she is her, her character is the strongest in that third movie. Um, but in, yeah, in this, in this one, she is a sort of, ah, I've been kidnapped. I'm going to fall. Ah, save me, Spider-Man. And then they kiss in the rain and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, true story, the kiss in the rain scene, uh, Tobey Maguire kept getting water up his nose. Uh, yeah, very he, awkward kiss. He, he said it was actually very difficult for him to breathe. Uh, yeah, yeah, understand. So. Uh, you watch it too and you're like, yeah, I could see that totally. He's and The mask is rolled up to his nose and forms a seal over his nose with water like just washing over it. I'm like, how's a dude supposed to breathe? <laughs> and the answer is... Not well. Yeah. <laughs> Not well. Uh, so watching the film, I watched it with my son. Actually, we watched all three. Um, at first, he gave me a bit of hesitation, kind of like what Curtis said last week when getting his kids to watch Labyrinth. You know, it was an older movie. I mean, not by my perspective, but by Andrew's perspective. He's 13, so this was came out before he was born. And so, so it's weird to think about, like, this this being considered an older movie. I don't, from his point of view, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from, but, but, like, yeah, it doesn't seem like... It doesn't... It's like, I'm like, this isn't an older movie. What are you talking about? But, but I right. guess, yeah, but if, if it's before he's born, he's like, well, it's ancient then. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, he uh, he became invested, and uh, I'm going to not not tell a lie here. I think it was in part because of uh, Willem Dafoe's portrayal of Norman Osborn, uh, the Green Goblin. Um, I know there's mixed reviews to, uh, to this portrayal of the Green Goblin. In part, they were experimenting with a, an animatronic mask. And there's still some test footage out there on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm, I've seen it. So it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. But they decided um, to scrap it instead and go for like a, a, f- a helmet. It looks like a Power Rangers villain, villain mask. It mm-hmm. does. Um, the, but yeah, I mean, as far as the performance goes, I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, Willem Dafoe is on point. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, 
like even again, but even back then, I was a little, I was a little iffy on Tobey Maguire. I've, I've softened up to him. I'm, I was a little, you know, a little iffy on Kirsten Dunst. I've softened up to her, and and uh, and, but I always loved Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. I always did. Yeah, uh, he's got the physicality for it. He performed like almost almost all his stunts. I think there were some that he didn't, and but he's also he does some of these the craziest facial expressions. Like he's just. It's just loony. Like, he starts off in the movie so damn normal, you know? And and trying to balance out being a father figure, being, you know, a powerful man, but also trying to have a softer side and trying to reach out to people, you know? He's, he's genuinely interested in meeting Harry's friends. He's genuinely interested in trying to support Harry. Um, and and it's a, he's a conflicted guy. And he, he looks when, when Harry... By the way, sorry, props to James Franco for, for portraying the dope that is Harry Osborne. The, the tragic dope that is Harry Osborne. When, when Harry, you know, drive around the corner, I don't want people to see me. Norman looks hurt. He looks genuinely hurt that, that his son is ashamed of, uh, of all that Norman's built. And, um, and, I, and, then, and then, what is it, like not even a half hour later, you know, when he's, he's strapped in the table and he's convulsing uh, with the green gas coming in and then his eyes roll up and then he, he, he leaps up onto the onto the table into that crouch position and then just like snarls and stuff like that like good god good god <laughs> some people I, i've known a few people who have said that Willem Dafoe was over the top no <laughs> Willem Dafoe is the man <laughs> that, no, yeah, that's yeah. a freaking conviction this is a grown adult and he is he is killing it and also like it totally fits with the tone of the movie mm-hmm. it's not i mean un, that's what's different from this and the uh and the X-Men films. Mm-hmm. The X-Men films were trying to be very grounded on, like, what if mutants were in the real world? Where this is very much a film that kind of embraces its comic book overtones. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of... It, it allows itself to be silly and to be over the top. And because comics are crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, comics are... If you, I know, I know people love them, but they're bonkers. <laughs> you know, like just years and years of mythology, and like, and and it, it, you know, crazy excuses why people can die and come back from the dead, and and like just tons and tons of stuff. Comics are absolutely insane, and they work anyway. And and Raimi made a film that was a comic book film, much more, much more loyal. Less, much more loyal to the tone of comic books than the X-Men films were. The X-Men films were almost like a, we can make this work even though it's a comic book film. Yeah. This is, let's make a comic book film. Kind of linking to Ainley's Hulk, um, <laughs> which is a film that I didn't, truthfully, I didn't like it. And I know that there was a lot of people who were just like, oh, I don't like it, I don't like it. But I was going in trying to just assess the movie for what it was. I kind of checked out a bit with the Hulk poodle. You know, it's not a film that's uh, completely like it. There's some scenes in there that are pretty good, sure. But also, like, the, yeah, the, you have to really overlook a lot. It's there were scene transitions though that were made to look like going over comic panels. I think it was done better with the Spider-Man flick. There's scenes where like he's trying to design the Spider-Man costume uh, that yeah. are that are giving the giving the passage of time. And they remind me very much of of how a comic might do a, like a montage. Is it called a montage when it's in a comic? I don't, I don't know. Me, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, because you're, you're trying to convey a lot of information, and you're trying to convey that it's happening over a period of time, um, 
and there was a lot of overlaying of images and stuff and him remembering Mary Jane and him remember thinking of cars and him going through newspapers and there's a few scenes that are along that that that's uh, really help with the flow of it and I think are done super super effectively to the point where you almost don't remember that they happen so they don't stand out like a sore thumb they're they're part of the film yeah yeah and and that was the issue with the uh, the Angley's Hulk was that it was so inconsistent in trying to make it look like a comic book movie that when it when they actually did embrace it it was jarring it was like well, oh right I guess they're, that's right they're going with this motif uh, I guess oh yeah yeah so Doug really quick because I realize we haven't done yet why don't you take us the, through the plot of the first Spider-Man uh, first Raimi Spider-Man film and at what point does Leo Pardon come in Leo Pardon yeah the giant spider robot <laughs> oh right right I have a giant spider robot <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, basically, you know, uh, Peter Parker is, uh, he, he loves his next door neighbor who doesn't even know he's there. That's Mary Jane. Um, and he goes on a science trip one day and he's taking some pictures and then, a, uh, uh, in the science field trip, there, uh, a, a genetically engineered spider has escaped from its, its cage and... I think this was something that kind of irked a lot of people, myself included. There's no radiation. This isn't right, irradiated. Yeah, yeah. It is a genetically modified spider that ta- that has taken on the traits of, like, 13 other spiders to form, like, a super spider. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so no no radioactive, no radioactivity in here. Um, it bites Peter Parker, and he gets some powers, and, and he plays, plays around those trying to figure out what to do with them. And he goes to try to earn some money to get a car to impress uh, Mary Jane. Uh, he does this by entering a wrestling match, even though he's much smaller physically than the guy in the ring. Um, he has a bit of a fight with his Uncle Ben. Um, after the wrestling match, he gets shafted by the guy. Oh, he wins the rest, said wrestling match, I should say. Then he gets shafted by the guy who's giving out the reward money. It was a lot, too. It was something like, I, it was like, it's supposed to win four grand, and like the guy gave him like 500 bucks or something like that. He got shafted a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Then, uh, so he's like, you know, screw that guy. And then as the guy's getting robbed, the robber runs right past Peter and he's like, hey, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then the guy's like, hey, my money. And then, you know, uh, then he goes down to meet up with his Uncle Ben after they had a bit of a fight. And he's like, okay, well, at least I still have my Uncle Ben and my family and everything's going to be, oh, Uncle Ben's been shot dead. And so he goes on pursuit to avenge his uncle, and then he discovers, oh, the guy who killed his uncle was indeed the guy he let go from the from the wrestling backstage place. Am I going through all all the beats? I the think so. I think so. Around page seventy-three, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Then uh, the the guy, the the robber dies, and then he's like, you know, I guess I gotta I gotta start taking responsibility now that I have these great powers. So he he starts uh, snatching up purse robbers and trying to do good around the city. And the city's very divided on if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, Peter Parker starts selling photographs to J. Jonah Jameson. All the while, we should mention really quick though. J.K. Simmons. Oh, when oh, he yeah. first came on screen, when I first saw that movie, instantly sold. Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. This is J. Jonah Jameson, one hundred percent. Honestly, like that—that's that, that uh, part launched his career. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting if you think about it. Like, out of all the stars who 
all the actors who really broke out from Spider-Man, it's got to be J.K. Simmons. <laughs> like, it's got to be. Like, Tobey Maguire, he's done stuff. But it's like, you know, he didn't... He just kind of shows up in films. Like, and in Great Gaps, Gatsby, he's just... Oh, hey, look, it's Tobey Maguire. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kirsten Dunst still does stuff as well, but lately oh, not. Lately, not a seen, lot. I haven't no. seen much. Um, well, you know, Willem Dafoe is also like, you know, because he's just a, he's a timeless treasure anyway, mm-hmm. so... He, James know. Franco, his his career is... That's true. Yeah. James Franco... is um, probably the most consistent, I think, at this point. Or J.K. Simmons. Or J.K. Simmons, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. And J.K. Simmons will put the, like, say this. He's won an Oscar since then, too. So, yeah. Absolutely nailed it. Nailed it. And uh, Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt. Elizabeth Banks. Oh, I almost forget about that. Yeah. yeah. Blink. blink and, uh, you, if you're not paying attention, you might miss her. Elizabeth, uh, much younger. Elizabeth Banks in a black wig playing Betty Brandt. She sells it. She's definitely sells it. <laughs> <laughs> so all the while, uh, there's this whole other storyline going on of Norman Osborn um, and how he his company is in jeopardy as he's trying to make deals with the military for the gl- his glider and super serum and stuff like that. And then they're pulling funding, and he's like, "Ah, they can't do this. I'm I'm a scientist and businessman and no 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 and um." So he, you know, goes to human trials, and who better to do human trials on than himself? Of course. And uh, turns out, it makes him go bananas, and uh, he kills his uh, his partner Mendelstrom, and he uh, Mendelstrom, a prominent figure in the comics, just just throws <laughs> through some glass. And yeah, that's dead. it. Yeah, um, and then he blows up a, a, a his, his competition literally, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. Um, then when the the company decides to go public uh, and sell as they so want to sell um, he blows up the board of directors <laughs> <laughs> basically the green goblin is is out there solving all of all of Norman Osborn's problems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and that and those and the spider-man story and the Norman Osborn story collide at a big festival um, in which uh, they they fight for the first time and then you know what? The Green Goblin's like, this Spider-Man guy, he's going to join me or die. You know, the old Darth Vader, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and then um, they fight. And 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 then Norman finds out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And he's like, oh, but he's my son's best friend. Ah, let's go kill him anyway. But he does so by, like, messing up Aunt May and... And it's kidnapping uh, Mary Jane and throwing her off a bridge, um, and then and then Spider Man's like, "Hey, I'm gonna save you both and the kids, and everything's okay." And then they fight again, and uh, and essentially, uh, in the last confrontation, Norman Osborn impales himself with his own glider, and uh, Spider Man's like, "Damn, that sucks," and. You know, it takes off all the all the Green Goblin stuff to to bring him home, um, and, and which uh, he gets caught by Harry Osborn, Peter's best friend, who I've glossed over completely. <laughs> and uh, Harry blames Spider Man for the death of his father, and uh, then there's a funeral. And very curiously, Mary Jane declares her love for Peter. I will say that that mm. one's that was a bit strange for me because she's been crushing on Spider Man this whole time mm. while dating Harry. And then, you know, she's like, oh, as I was hanging off that bridge, I just kept thinking about Peter Parker. And uh, and then, yeah, they have a little kiss, and he's like, I can't do this. I'm sorry. And she's like, oh, that kiss reminds me of something. If only he was upside down, I could know for sure. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's essentially the first Spider-Man. Told with a little more panache. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Truthfully, as much as I adore Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, and I do think the film does work, I feel like the amazing Spider-Man started, and, and likewise Spider-Man Homecoming, did the right thing in starting smaller. Amazing Spider-Man starting with the lizard. Spider-Man Homecoming starting with the vulture. I feel that these were probably better moves to start. But by the same token, having Harry, uh, Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin, it's just such such a damn good performance. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of mm-hmm. I'm kind of conflicted on it. You know, it is it is a trick to to basically start with the arch nemesis mm-hmm. um, because then hey, where do you go from there? Well, the, the Batman series, the Tim Burton Batman, Tim Burton slash Joel Schumacher Batman series had the same thing. They started with Joker. Yeah, you know, they started with Joker. Yeah. Um, or they were a little wiser with Batman Begins, starting with like Scarecrow. Yeah, yeah, Scarecrow yeah. origin slash Scarecrow. Uh, not a bad, not a bad idea. Um, Scarecrow and well, I guess there was a few villains. There was also uh, Ra's al Ghul and um, the the gang, the mobster, uh, Gar- uh, Valcone. Valcone, yeah. Valcone, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, starting off a lot more small time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you start off with the arch nemesis. I mean, I guess I guess the idea was that hey, you don't you don't know if there's going to be a sequel, right? True, yeah, true. So, so the, yeah, you're right. No, there is that question. Then it's just mm-hmm. like, well, it, what if this is your only shot? You want to put your best foot forward? Yeah, yeah. So it's a tough call. But uh, yeah, I guess yeah, you just got you just kind of have to um, I don't know make 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 it uh, make make a gamble. Is is it better to start off big or or play the long game? And I guess with with hindsight, we can say like, oh, they should have played the long game, mm-hmm. but. I mean, they knew with Spider-Man Homecoming that the film was going to make outrageous amounts of money. They already knew that. So they, it, it felt safer for them to start with Vulture. Yes. Uh, plus, they had some some other source material to work from with uh, damage control and Stark and all that stuff. So they, they had a better springboard. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And yeah, and it was a sure a sure hit. To some degree, anyway. Yeah. So let's get into the, the comic adaptation. I mean, this was this was definitely going to happen. There was yeah. definitely going to be a comic a comic adaptation here. Uh, and it's the, so interesting, really, is that uh, a movie based off a comic book, and now you have to make a comic book book based on that movie. It's just sort of I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of a funny idea to me. It's yeah, going around in circles in some way. So the film was released May third, two thousand two. The comic was released June June first or June two thousand two. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just June two thousand two. June two thousand two. I actually remember you picking this up. Did you pick it up at this point, or was it a bit later? I picked it up, but it was pretty new. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was new. So um, they give first off, they give special thanks to Brian Michael Bendis. So um, I'm curious how much involvement he had in this. No idea. Interestingly, the script credit is given to Stan Lee. Eh? Now, I mean, like the story. Like based on the Marvel comic book by Stanley and Steve Ditko, that makes sense to me. But I don't, I don't think Stanley actually wrote most of this. Truthfully, I'm kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of confused as to, as to what the full relationship was. I think Curtis addresses that in in his comments. We'll get to in a little bit. Uh, Alan Davis is, is given pencils, and I know there's a lot of people who are big big Alan Davis fans. And so that was kind of my my first going through the comic is first. Uh, to look at the uh, look at the art. Now, this was just really it was just a single issue, right? It was like a big issue, it but, big, it was, but it was it was just one. one, just one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and basically, truthfully, the the comic follows almost beat for beat the movie. 
uh, although really condensed. I mean, obviously, because like we covered with adaptations, you've got far, far less time to get out what you need to get out. But I mean, as far as story structure goes, it's it's basically the exact same, eh? But yeah, like very condensed. That's mm-hmm. the thing. So much so that I don't know. I, I feel like you would be if you didn't know the movie. There's some definite like jumps in logic. I think you'd have to make. There's some sort of like oh oh uh, like where did what is this about? Where did this <laughs> come from? A little bit of that stuff happening. Yeah. yeah. Um. So let's chat about the art really quick. Notice that they give the characters. They're enough of a resemblance to the actors that you can kind of you can kind of see it, but they're not tied strictly to the actors. They're actually, to be honest, they're they're a little more. The way the characters are drawn seem to be more like everyday people. Like they're less less expressive and less less pronounced than they would ordinarily be in the comics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like Mary Jane, if you look at her face, she could just be any woman, really. Whereas yeah, they, they don't look really like perfect uh versions of the actors for sure mm-hmm. although the depiction of peter parker isn't is is pretty close but is but it's, it's still a generic's kind of the wrong way of putting it he's just he's uh the, i guess the difference between him and the comics is the depiction of his hair you know what i mean like his hair is just kind of more flat than in the comics and actually um but truthfully i mean looking through it though David Smith seems to put like a lot of expression in into these into these character designs anyways like it's so it's so interesting to be able to balance out uh okay how much do I want to tie to the visual aspects of the movie and how much do I want to make it as a comic book and he's really treading that line where he's trying to keep it tied to the film but also also to make it a comic nonetheless you know what I mean so the, the scene for example when Norman Osborne is transformed that is very much a comic a comic look yeah but you know other things were you know they're like sitting in cars and stuff like that that that, that one almost seems like that could be like rex morgan md sort of stuff you know what i mean <laughs> it's it, right yeah, it yeah. does it, it's so it kind of treads that line and that's not that's not a job i envy at all that's a tough tough sort of thing to do you know what's really tough is that i find that uh, the the script and the uh the visuals sometimes suffer because of trying to translate actions in a film into a comic and mm-hmm. so sometimes you get them over explaining what's happening yes uh, they're like oh like, like in the scene where Peter he's like he just wakes up and he says things that just sound very unnatural like whoa I can see without my glasses I can <laughs> see it's just like yikes <laughs> like it's just but but interestingly to contrast oh, also the spider sorry yeah just the spider sense one is also just like his inner monologue just way over explaining things mm-hmm. but I guess it's sort of like well given what Sam Raimi did visually uh, in the movie, like that doesn't really translate into comics. So, like, what I don't really know what else they would do. That is interesting. The first time we're exposed, to, you're right. The first time we're exposed to the spider sense, he becomes aware of everything going around him, like the 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 flapping of the fly's wings and the spitball mm-hmm. and the beads of saliva coming off. You understand that he is becoming acutely aware of things around him. That's a bit harder to do. Yeah. In in comic form. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's just because I mean, what have they done in the comics before to represent the spider sense? They just put like little uh, <laughs> little, little things lines, around yeah. his head, and it's like it's like oh, my spider sense is tingling. There are some p- points where I think there's some actual improvements uh, or things things maybe not improvements, but things I prefer in the comic, mm-hmm. particularly the fight in the uh, 
in the the wrestler ring. Yeah, I never I never liked the the movie's version of that fight. Hmm. It always seemed a little too like just the way they took him out. He like, kicked him multiple times and stuff like, and it just seemed a little flimsy. Like like for what Spider Man should have been able to do, it didn't seem like it capitalized on that. Where this. I don't know. This just seems more dynamic, more of him literally like jumping circles around this guy, much like uh, I always imagined the wrestling match would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually prefer this scene over the the uh, the the bone saw scene in the movie, despite it being maybe a little too fast. But at the same time, like that's just sort of uh, something you gotta you gotta work with. Yeah, yeah. Just because you got you got so many pages, you can only devote so many to a wrestling match. I remember kind of being turned off a bit by this comic, and one of the early scenes, one of the ones that I remember the most certainly, was when right after Norman Osborn's uh, transformation, in that there's a panel on page ten where you get this, you get a build, you get the building outside of the, the Osborn residence, and Harry says, "Yeah, Dad, how long have you been sitting here?" Oh, uh, well, I'm I'm not really sure, son. It's like in the movie. Uh, what had happened was Norman was collapsed under his desk and Harry saw him and came running over to him and, you know, helped him up and saying, what's going on? And he looked so shaken and stuff like that. Whereas, like, if you think about it in in reality, if I'm walking past a person, even if it's Don, even if it's Don and they're just sitting there, uh, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, something's wrong. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's sitting on a chair. <laughs> just nothing, he's just he's just sitting. Maybe, you know, maybe yeah. he had a long night. Maybe he was drinking. I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, I, and and the dialogue in this scene, it, it, it is kind of clunky in that it it's because they haven't been able to to build the relationship with between uh, Norman and, and Harry. Mm-hmm. You get these um, really awkward parts about him going like, I don't need lectures from a C student and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like, where does that come from? <laughs> like, really, yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, it's sort of, you know, you're trying to retroactively build their relationship up when, you know, it's just like, that's not the point in time when you would do that. It's just, yeah, uh, it's moments like that that kind of make me go like, uh, uh, it's all a little, it's all a little rushed. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also a strange sort of time, uh, time differential here in the film. It's easily at least, I would say, a week, or at least it seems to be, between the Green Goblin making his proposition to Spider-Man, uh, proposal, proposal to Spider-Man. It's like, hey, you know, join my side. We could rule this this town. And then in the burning building, Spider-Man saying, nah, nah, you're, you're insane. Whereas in this, in this comic, it seems like they're within the same day. Like, the timing is just super weird. It just things happen so, so fast. Uh, and it's like, well, has he even had time to, to think about it? You know, uh so you know his first confrontation is on page 34 and then, okay yeah. so it's like the next day the next day Mary Jane she's getting mugged oh god then she does a, a big old kiss and this a Spidey kiss and then as Spidey's web slinging there's the fire right and I mean like is Spider-Man you know uh, not able to say to the Green Goblin just like we just talked about this man can you like give me some time to think about it <laughs> uh, I, I don't know it just it feels it's yeah, I get from a structural standpoint that the, there there is there is a need to be rushed. Uh, I get it, but I don't understand why it had to be like the next day. It could have been like the next week. 
so that, you know, there was a little bit more where it's just like, you know, Goblin left him alone for a little bit to stew on it. Yeah, but again, and, and then instantly gonna... goes over and like the next day is 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 again like Thanksgiving, which isn't even Thanksgiving here in the comic. If well, you recall, they're just kind of meeting, aren't they? Oh, you know, it is no, say Thanksgiving yeah, dinner, Thanksgiving. but they're not eating or or or, or, or unfortunately they're missing that fantastic scene where where Norman's about to carve the turkey. <laughs> million dollar scene right there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they and they miss out that whole that really tense scene where he's on the ceiling trying to like hide from everyone who's like looking in his room they're like mm-hmm. oh we thought he, we thought we heard him up here uh the again they're just making everything go right from one right one thing right to the next and yeah missing out on some really cool like cool, really cool scenes i will say yeah no the scene was done a disservice because there's um harry went to go def- like to go stop his dad on the way out and say look this girl means a lot to me uh and then you know he has that the altercation with norman and norman says some really nasty things and harry starts to stick up for her but then falters um and he comes in really hurt but mary jane doesn't even see the hurt all she can think about is the mean things that were said about her uh and so she storms off and and harry feeling defensive overreacts and says you know i'd be lucky if i'm you know half the man that he is uh and that that whole interplay with with peter and aunt may just kind of like uh should we be here sort sort of thing that whole interplay that whole character dynamic uh is is basically gone in the comic which is is too bad it's it's too bad i don't have like an easy fix for it but um it, it, it just just having mary jane upset and leaving and harry kind of like moping a bit and it's just like oh okay and uh and then harry mopes and mary jane mopes and all this yeah it's it's almost too bad it's almost too bad yeah there is another scene that i feel like the uh the script i you know part of me wonders if if there was like limitations and how much of the movie script they could actually put in the comic because mm. there's lines that are changed like actually a lot of the time that yeah. i'm like i'm like Oh, that was said way better in the movie. If you if in the a few scenes previously when Osborne captures Spider-Man from yeah. the bugle, all that was said by the in the in the film was he, he was hanging upside down and then Norman shoots out this gas and goes sleep. Yeah, and I love that line because <laughs> it's like what like what else do you need to say? It's like oh, of course that's sleep gas because yeah. he's saying and then Spider-Man collapses and it just it's this kind of like really funny line that that totally totally sells what's going on Mm -hmm. and then this whole thing this time i'm ready for you have a whiff of my sleeping gas sweet dreams webhead it's like way over explains things it says in those three lines all they had to say in the movie was sleep (laughs) (laughs) and it's like oh like you know sometimes they're they're cramming everything in and sometimes they're expanding it way more than they need to um and and it does make me wonder if if they weren't allowed to use the the lines directly from the script. That's weird. Because I every time I read it, I'm like I'm like I'm pretty sure that line. Like I've seen that movie a lot. Yeah. I've seen that movie a lot, and I know it really well. I didn't have to like brush up on it before this. I, I wanted to, but I just wasn't really able to. Um, and what's that look? <laughs> <laughs> I tr- <clears throat> I was trying to borrow it from Allie. Okay. And then she kept forgetting to bring it. Mm-hmm. And then I was gonna. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's but you know again I've seen the movie so many times I know it back and forth like front to back and I'm like I'm pretty sure that line was different I'm pretty sure that that it was it was just eh, better written in the in the in the film so uh, yeah, but then there are some lines that are right from the film in here like like Norman's <laughs> line of 
Norman's line of um, I'm something of a scientist myself. You know, mm-hmm. th- th- like okay, well that sounds like it's a direct, direct uh, transplant essentially. But so I don't know. I don't know why they had to change so much of the script. I will say though, uh, for the better, he's uh, Spider-Man is far more quippy in this in this adaptation than he is in the movie mm. like he's 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 far more like in the comics where he's always got a quip handy and he's always making light of a of a, of a dangerous situation that that i felt was kind of missing from from the first film certainly. that's that's true yeah is that that is something that's been sort of something that spider-man does is he he talks well he when he fights quite a bit that's that's his trademark thing yeah uh, uh, I they, they even made fun of that in um was uh it was it was Captain America: Civil War, where it's like, it's like people don't usually talk this much during fight, <laughs> and then when they fight, it's like, oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> I probably said that entirely wrong. But, yeah, yeah uh, I jog my memory here, refresh my memory. Um, mm. You had some sort of article that had the different facets of Spider-Man, you know, um, and and the various the various sorts of traits, and one of them was like uh, Spider-Man the prankster, sort of thing. Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? And then, then it would have like a page, a write up. On on that aspect of Spider Man of Spider Man, hmm, I don't remember specifically. Like the tragic hero, the prankster, you know, the, the, uh, bell, the loving I, nephew. I haven't seen it in a, in a long time. I, I mean, I mean, I guess I could try and dig it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I could try and dig it out, but I, dig it from the archives. Uh, so I mean, like, there, but there are there are lots of different facets to Spider Man as a character, and I don't think in the film that they really expanded with how funny he could get. Yeah, of course, he is sad. He's driven by he's driven by grief and regret. In uh, yeah. Absolutely. Stan Lee said, uh, quite famously, that the reason why Spider-Man wears a mask is because uh, that way people can't see how terrified he is, uh, which is an interesting dimension. That's, uh, that he, he does admit that, that he's, he's scared and that he's terrified. And he uses his humor as a defense mechanism, too. And that's also part of being outrageously intelligent. That's you know he's ready with the one-liners, and that was something I think that they missed in the movie. That there was there was a there was a quite a few assets, uh, sorry, quite a few aspects of him that were that were explored. Him being incredibly intelligent could have been done a little more, but definitely was in there. You know him being a tragic hero definitely was in there. You know him being a romantic definitely in there. But yes, he was he was klutzy, sure. But there wasn't the one-liners as much as I would expect. The only one I could think of is that when you know. Goblin is uh, terrorizing Jameson, and Spider-Man says, you know, uh, quiet down, Mom and Dad are going to have a talk, or something. And even still, that's not outrageously hilarious, but, you know, I'll take it, because he's because he's being he's being a smart mouth. Yeah. Sure. I, I would have mind seeing more smouth. Like, saying things like, you're the one who's, you know, off your rocker, or, or whatever. That's, that's not really a smart mouth. That's just trading barbs. So I would have liked to have seen that more in the film, but they did manage to throw it a little more into the comics, into this adaptation, at least. I, I also love... There's another thing I like is... Um as as goofy as the helmet looked, and again, I didn't. I, I'm actually not super against the helmet, like some people are. Sure. But uh, Norman Osborn's helmet, uh, I think they made it, they made it work a lot better in the comic. Um, there's that scene um, where he barges in when Aunt May's praying, <laughs> um, and then like he's really shadowed. Like I think that's a pretty effective little little piece of art there of him just hovering over her. I mean, the line I could do without "Welcome to your worst nightmare" is like, eh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, is, is, is that like an Alice Cooper song? Welcome uh, to my nightmare, or something oh, yeah, like that. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Also, the scene where he's talking to himself right after he finds Peter, um, where I finds out Peter is Spider-Man. Uh, when he, there's a good shot of him 
face to face with the mask. And then right after that, there's his reflection in the mask's eye, which mm-hmm. it looks very, uh, just very cartoonishly terrifying. But in, in you know, that sort of like Willem Dafoe kind of way. You sure. Know? Yeah, big teeth and kind of like, ah, ah, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so which would you say then is is the stronger? Uh, would you would you recommend the the adaptation, or would you say stick to the film? Oh, uh, easy choice. Uh, stick to the film, hundred um, percent. The adaptation's got some nice moments, but overall, the story is not told nearly as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a lot more rushed. The the dialogue is more clunky. The art's not bad. I I, I actually like a lot of the art, uh, but. If you actually want to to experience that that story really well, then the, yeah, you, you should just the, the film is pretty is pretty solid, and it's definitely is where you, yeah, it's just what you what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Where, where, uh, yeah, I like it a lot. Um, and you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just find myself very frustrated often with the comic adaptation because of just it just didn't feel like it works nearly as well. It, it didn't it didn't feel like I, I maybe I don't know. I, I guess I covered it all. It's just, okay. it's just, yeah. it's, just it's just more clunky and less um, uh, less. It, it's way too, way too fast. Way too fast. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. It was again. There are definitely some highlights to this comic, but I wouldn't I wouldn't list it as a must have. We'll read some of the comments first off. Costas, thanks for responding, guys. He says, I remember reading and enjoying it. Maybe it was due to the fact that I also love the first movie so much. They're with you, man. I also loved Alan Davis as an artist. I was excited to see him do Spidey, even even if it wasn't the 616 Spider-Man. After some years, I was glad I met Alan and got this bad boy signed. Now, that would be kind of cool, though. Cool, yeah, that'd be yeah, yeah cool. for sure. I will say also, for the record, that uh, I, uh, Curtis was able to point us to a uh, an online source. But, I mean, I looked everywhere for this comic around town. Like, it was nutty but buddy finding this comic. And they, yeah, they knew yeah. what I was talking about. They weren't like, oh, I don't know. They're just like, oh, no, don't have that one. So, I mean, if you got your, if you have your hands on this comic and you've got it signed, dude, like, major kudos. Hope you're you know, keeping yeah, it in a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 unfortunately, I, uh, I, I think I gave mine away. I think I, I, I sent it off I, I, to a thrift store or something like that because I was like, eh, I don't really like it. Um, but now, now again, you know, there's a few things that I've given away that I kind of want up regretting. So that, this, this is probably one of them where, it, you know, as much as uh, it isn't my favorite comic book, it was still kind of a cool thing to have. Sure. Um, and, and apparently would have come in handy down the road. So... <laughs> Romello writes, I have that comic, and I didn't like how Spider-Man and Green Goblin were drawn in the comics, to be honest. And I wish that the artist took his time with drawing the characters and make the artwork look like the actors, actresses in the film. Yeah, that again, that's that's kind of tough. That's, that is kind of tough. Should they look a, a lot like the actors portraying them in the film? Maybe. I, I mean... Because yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it's necessary. Because then the, the, the artist, then he's, he's doing he's spending a lot of time doing caricatures, right? Basically, at that point. Hmm. I feel I personally feel like it was a nice balance mm. um, of of looking close enough. I didn't have an issue with that. Jesse had a, quite a nice comment, but uh, I liked I liked his last part where he says, "Whenever Alan Davis does interiors, it's an automatic purchase." But this was a rushed effort. I don't think that he had much to draw it, and Stan was just pointing it in. But it didn't dim my experience of the Spider-Man movie. It was a great time to be a comic book fan. Yeah, so I mean, like, I would like to see more of uh, Alan Davis's stuff. I probably have seen a lot of Alan D- Davis's stuff, but um, I mean, if th- truthfully, if this was like, if this was him, you know, rushing through stuff, I mean, bloody hell, kudos. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. I mean? <laughs> 
And then Tommy was talking. Actually, this was something I did want to mention. He was asking if there was uh, another adaptation drawn by Alex Ross. Do you remember the Alex Ross drawings when they were released? Um, no. They looked great, man. And actually, if I recall, one of them kind of made their way into Peter's sketchbook when he was going through costume ideas. But the Alex, like Alex Ross, first off, like his stuff, I I really, really like. I find it very compelling. I don't know if it would necessarily service the story well if it was like. Uh, a regular comic book like say like he was uh doing an entire run for quite a while because i feel like his stuff is just much more art than it is for like comic consumption you know Mm, yeah yeah but i mean i remember when when like there was some of his some of his stuff was was released let me pull let me pull up that because it looks so good like i i love his love his stuff the the detail on the stuff that he gives are so good and uh i mean it's it's it is honestly like like artwork uh so yeah it is artwork. well (laughs) okay let me rephrase that uh because of course it's art of course it's it's art but i mean like it's spider-man but is it art (laughs) (laughs) yeah so some of the concept uh, stuff that he did i mean like oh wait yeah this does ring a bell yeah i really like the concept stuff that was before the movie came out that's right right okay yeah i almost i did forget about this but yeah, just seeing that image there, I'm like, whoa, like all these memories started flooding back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was cool stuff. I, I did. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Now that you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> and JC Carlos says it looks very Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Ultimate Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, I mean, that's, that's just a whole whole other road to go down into. You know, it, I think it was just indicative of what the comic landscape was like at the time because Ultimate Spider-Man was right around that time when mm. it was when it was kind of first taking off. I think it may be a little bit earlier, but um you know, just the that was just the way his comics looked at the time. I I think his his uh it's very dis- Mark Bagley did Ultimate Spider-Man for the yeah. longest time and uh has a very distinct look and has a, a I mean, I think Mark Bagley has one of the best portrayals of Spider-Man like visually, I mm-hmm. think. And this doesn't quite I think live up to Mark Bagley's look, but but uh, yeah, totally. Still, it was, uh, I'm not surprised that they look similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and let's go to Curtis's comments because uh, he really breaks it down. He he was really on board with us during this one. He says, "I haven't seen this movie in over a decade, but I still enjoy it, even with the dated special effects and Raimi's Evil Dead type action and dialogue." And let's not talk about the Goblin suit. Actually, truthfully, I feel like he really started to do get a bit more to his Evil Dead uh, days with uh, Spider-Man Two. Uh, Dr. Octopus in the hospital. The comic adaptation is very different than your typical adaptation because the dialogue has been completely rewritten. Oh, okay. So I'm not not crazy. You're not crazy, (laughs) Doug. None of it is the same as the movie. And in some cases, this is a good thing. But for much of it, the nuances of the character development is lost because the script becomes much more shallow. The writing credit goes to Stan Lee, who wasn't really doing any writing at the time, but really claimed the Spider-Man movie as his baby when it came out. There's a special thanks to Brian Michael Bendis in the credits. I suspect most of the script is actually done by him. Again, I'm I'm on board with you there, Curtis. I, I think so as well truthfully uh the art is by alan davis who at this point in his career was a guy that marvel put on a book that they really wanted to push he's a fan favorite and he does a good job here and doesn't really make the faces look like the actors which i think is a benefit to the final product uh divided opinion uh divided opinion so. on yeah, this yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with curtis on that one though mm-hmm. i like that he makes the amazing spider-man number 39 cover homage even more obvious than it was in the movie in all, I think this is a pretty good adaptation and very different experience than watching the movie, thanks to the rearranging of scenes in the new script. Yeah, um, I'll say it's an okay adaptation. Yeah, I didn't like it as much as much as Chris did, but it's not the worst. 
yeah, I, I think, you know, realistically, I, I have to go uh, even a little lower than that and say, I just didn't care for it. Um, it's got moments. It's got very inspired moments where the art is really good, and there's and there's slight improvements over or, or preferences over the movie. But overall, like just watch the movie. The movie's great. Uh, it holds up pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next time, um, I would like to try to see if I can find Star Trek: The Motion Picture because I am so curious how a movie like that is adapted to comic form. Where it's like 80% special effects shots. What, <laughs> what do they do in the comic? You know, part of me is kind of hopeful because of how overlong the movie is. That mm-hmm. maybe having to condense it into comic book form would make it very palatable. I, I'm very, very <laughs> curious about that myself, yeah. too. Um, Star Trek and Marvel have, have such an interesting history together. And uh, I think definitely is going to require quite a bit quite a bit of reading up on uh for those of you at home who are like i like hearing steven duck talk what's this music a to z podcast you're going on about uh right now the site is being redesigned you're not going to be able to find it at the moment i'm hoping to have it back up very shortly uh, and when it does come back up please join us for uh music a to z podcast and continue subscribing here for your more uh, more of your epic marvel podcast adventures always remember go to the itunes rate and review and uh show your support uh, check out uh, moving underscore pictures, pictures with a K instead of a C. Um, if you want to see my stuff on YouTube, those who like uh, movie type stuff, um, I did a, recently a video on a scene from Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and mm. uh, that, that video's actually got a fair bit of traction and uh, is part of that one. I don't know if everyone's aware of this. There is a collection of YouTubers who are making videos called One Marvelous Scene where they break down a single scene from the MCU. It was sort of a prepping up for Endgame uh, thing. And uh, and now, now the playlist is at like 93 Whoa. videos. I'm at like 85. My, my video is 85. So... I'm actually pretty proud of it, and I think you should check it out. Uh, but hey, you know, if you like video games and uh, Transformers and uh, stuff like that, then it is uh, th- that's a good channel for you. Subscribe and and uh, and help help a brother out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode, folks. Uh, we will see you next time on the Epic Marvel Movie Podcast. Sleep.